Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm Katie Chesney, and you're listening to You Do What, a show where we check out a variety of non-traditional jobs and find out how to start a career in those areas. Today, we're with Christopher Bates, master sommelier and winemaker at Element Winery. Now, Christopher, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. I've sort of been in the hospitality industry for quite a number of years, probably almost 18 or 20 at this point. And it's kind of always been what I've done between front of house and back of house, working um, in the wine industry as well as the kitchen aspect of, of hospitality. So that's uh, it's always been my, my big focus. And in the last couple of years, I was general manager of a small hotel and a couple of restaurants as well as the executive chef. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have also have a small winery that I run and own in upstate New York. Awesome. Now, what attracted you to this industry, the, the industry of hospitality? You know, I just, I've always been interested in it. Um, I started out in the industry cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because of my interest in cooking and grew up in upstate New York and there wasn't really um, a whole lot to do up here. So it's something that uh, I've done since I was absolutely tiny and started washing dishes when I was probably about 14 in a local restaurant Mm -hmm. and kind of never really stopped from there. Moved through all the positions and went to school for hospitality for um, hotel administration and just kept doing it. Now, did you always know that you wanted to be a sommelier or is that something that just kind of happened throughout your career? You know, that's sort of developed over the years. Certainly started out with more of an interest in, in cooking. I didn't really grow up in a family that, you know, wine was never a real part of our lives here. You know, mm-hmm. I think we had wine maybe once, maybe twice a year for, you know, parents' anniversary or um, New Year's or something like that. And it, at that, it was Tots or Andre's Champagne. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a big part of, of life. So and it wasn't until a little bit later that I got into the sommelier industry and that I got really passionate and excited about that. Now, when someone when you tell someone that you're a sommelier, what's the most common reaction? Uh, I think still most people don't really know what that means. Okay. Um, it depends on where I am I and mean, you know who I'm talking to. If I'm in you know, New York City, I get a lot more looks of recognition, and there's you know there's a, a big movement towards the wine industry right now and. And some ways are gaining a lot of power at the moment, sort of in the industry. So some circles that gain some respect and in others, you know, they still look at you and wonder what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So I bet the next, the second most popular question that you get after people find out that you're a sommelier is, oh, what's your favorite kind of red wine or white wine? So do you have a favorite? Uh, you know, I think everybody's going to tell you roughly that, you know, that's kind of like asking uh, which, is, which is your favorite kid. Um <laughs> It all sort of depends on, you know, everything that's going on around me. You know, right now it's uh, below freezing. It's snowing out. Um, I'm more likely going to be drinking something, or I'm likely going to be drinking something different now than I would have been six months ago in the sun or heck, even last week when I was sitting in Argentina. But um, Mm -hmm. if I had to narrow it down, I would say that my favorite wines are German Riesling. Okay, cool. Now, from what I've read, the education required for sommeliers is quite rigorous. Could you tell us a little bit about the Court of Master Sommeliers and their testing processes? Of course. You know, the Court of Master Sommeliers is basically a certification process. Mm -hmm. It is a organization that was started about 40 years ago. Um, It originated in the UK and was essentially a way to sort of certify sommeliers as really to really separate the professionals and the experts in the industry from everybody else. The, mm-hmm. So what we do is 
it's basically set up in a, a four-series or a four-step test-taking process, which culminates in the fourth level being the Master Sommelier exam. Okay. And so the first level is called the introductory exam. And a couple of years ago, we put in the certified exam. And then there's a third level, which is known as the advanced exam. And then lastly, the master's exam. You basically have to pass each part in order to take the next level. And how did this testing process kind of gain its reputation as being quite difficult? In fact, I've heard it being referred to as the hardest test in the world to pass. What what gave it that reputation? Uh, The fact that it might be the hardest test in the world to pass. (laughs) Um, You know, I think uh, currently there's some just over 200 master sommeliers in the entire world. Okay. There's just over 100 in the U.S. uh, alone. And every year, right now, I think somewhere between uh, just about 150 people take the test a year. Mm -hmm. And of that, maybe maybe 7%, and that's just a rough number, maybe 7% pass or something like that. Wow. Given the fact that it takes, at minimum, three to four years to even get to take the exam, Mm -hmm. it's pretty intense in that way. Now, I've also heard that you can't really divulge what the questions are and that's okay but you know when you're up to the master's like when to get your master's certification what what do you have to do do you have to do like a blind taste testing or what else is required in that basically sort of the way that the the courses go is each one is subsequently more difficult than the last Mm -hmm. the first exam the intro exam is a multiple choice theory test that's written um, and it comes after a two-day class in which we sort of cover the entire world of wine. The introductory, the, right, the certified exam is a three-part exam, mm-hmm. which all of them are after that point. And they really break it down into theory, tasting, and serving. Kind of the three major aspects of, of our industry and, and our business. So okay. um, our theory at the certified level is a written exam. Our service is basically exactly that. You walk into a mock service exam or into sort of a mock dining room and you go about performing a task. And then blind tasting at the certified is two wines and a trick. Beyond that, the masters and the advanced exams are, are fairly similar in their format in that it's sort of that multiplied. Mm-hmm. The theory exam at the advanced is a very, very intense written exam. And at the masters, it is an even more intense oral exam. So you answer some large number of questions over roughly probably an hour, basically being fired at you verbally by a couple of different master sommeliers. Mm-hmm. And then once you're done with that, you do your, your tasting or your blind tasting, which is really a, a, a skill of deduction, really, you know, magic or a parlor trick. But it's, it's essentially our way to make sure that we are able to properly describe Mm-hmm. the classic wines of the world, as well as that we're able to really describe what's in our glass. So it's a exercise where you'll walk into a room. There will be six wines, generally three whites and three red wines, poured in front of you, and you won't have any idea anything other than that. You've got six wines in front of you, and you have 25 minutes to go about describing and identifying each of those wines. And that's that's really similar between the two exams. It's just you have to be a little bit more accurate in the master's exam. Your score required for passing is a little bit higher than the advanced. And then the service part. And the service is, you know, you walk into essentially a live dining room with a number of different tables asking for a number of different tasks. And you're 
essentially just tackling those like you would in your dining room. The goal is, is to make sure that we're really ready to handle um, any service environment and that, you know, you can take once we've gotten through this process, we could sort of go to any dining room and any service environment and sit in very quickly and very comfortably. Mm-hmm. I've heard that traveling, because the wine industry is global, and I've heard that traveling can kind of be a great value to your education as a sommelier. Did you have a chance to travel at all throughout your career to really learn about um, wines in the different regions? Well, I wouldn't say it's a must, Okay, but I will say it's pretty much absolutely necessary. There's really no way to get about it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've traveled just quite a bit. How do you finance that journey if you're still in the process of earning your credentials? I mean, do you typically have a career that you're doing and then you just go through the sommelier process on the side? Or how does that work? Most certainly. I don't think that, I I don't view the Court of Master Sommelier's program and certification levels as something that one does to build their career. I really view it more in that it is a sort of verification of the career that you've built or been building. You know, I've been, and I think most of us have been in the hospitality industry and worked as sommeliers or beverage directors the entire time that we're doing the process. You know, some may put more or less emphasis on, you know, on on really being aggressive in their careers. But for me, it was always, that was always the first part was my career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were we're already working in our industry and we're already doing these things. And, and, and those are sort of, that's an adjunct to to our, the development of our career, in my opinion. All right. Well, that's good to know. Now, how many years or attempts did it take you to achieve the status of a Master Sommelier? I've been working through the Court of Master Sommeliers for 12 years. Oh, wow. So does it's, it's a time commitment, definitely. Very much. I mean, I think that there's people, there are definitely people that have done it in less. But again, I've been very career-driven during that time. So mm-hmm. I accepted positions and jobs that were more aligned to my career goals than simply to passing the exam. Right. So I haven't always been in the beverage industry for the last four years. Basically, the entire time I was taking the master's exam, I've been actually in the kitchen as the executive chef. Okay. It's sort of an addition to that for me, but some people definitely go through much quicker. But I took the master's exam alone four times. Okay. That was the only part that I ever had to retake, but I took my intro exam 12 years ago, and then I continued on in my career, and I was living in Chicago and Wyoming and moved to Europe for some time and didn't really get back into the exams until probably six years ago now. Okay. And then I took the certified and the advanced exam as quickly as I could, and then I took, it took me four tries to pass the master's exam. The way that that works is that we have the three different areas of, of testing, the service and the tasting and the, and the theory. And at the master's level, you have three years to pass all three parts. Okay, so that helps. Exactly. Or it doesn't. It depends. If you pass one part um, the first year, then, then that stays with you. But then on the third year, if you, don't, if you haven't passed all three parts by then, um, what happens is it's called you reset. And so I actually reset last year. So this year when I went back, I had all three parts to take again. Wow. And for me, that helped a lot. It did? Yeah, I think so. I think it sort of changed my perspective. You 
know, a bit of it's what you know, but a lot of it's also just your perspective, your attitude, your general outlook, and and sort of where you are mentally and physically and everything else. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for anyone who would be going to take their master's test on like how they could prepare for it in advance? Well, by the time you get to that level, you'll have picked up a lot of tips and you'll have essentially developed a lot of your own test-taking strategies. You know, a lot of it is, is you just have to know a lot of different things. Okay. You have to be incredibly versed in the entire world of, of beverages. So you obviously have to know what you're doing when you walk in. From a simple, you know, once you have that under control, the big thing is, is relax, you know, know what you know and know that you're good enough to be there and don't freak out. A lot of it's service and that's all nerves. Blind tasting is nerves. You know, it's, we do this every single day. We serve tables every day. We're in the hospitality industry, but it seems different that day. So... You know, make sure that you've got that under control. You're not going to be asked to do anything that you haven't ever done before. It's just you know that you've spent X amount of years preparing for that one test, and this is the day that's going to depend on whether you're going to, you're going to have to spend another year preparing or not. Definitely. Now, how does one make a career out of being a sommelier and making it a viable career, a profitable one? Well, the hospitality industry. You know, the hospitality industry is probably often overlooked, um, for its sort of professional attributes, but the hospitality industry is a very viable career. Mm-hmm. You know, live on tips largely in the service industry, and sommeliers can be set up as either tipped or salaried or both positions. And so, you know, restaurant work is one of the sort of main focuses, but there's also all kinds of other sort of options once you've gone down that path for both in and out of service work, but largely wine related. Mm-hmm. Now, essentially, the sommelier is a service oriented beverage expert. Okay. Now, could you walk us through the typical day of a sommelier in the hospitality industry? Well, a lot of that's going to depend again on your position and your your space. But normally, um, you know, our day involves a fair amount of studying. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the, the actual day to day is a little bit hard to, to discuss because. We don't necessarily have an exact routine. It's not like service where, you know, you go in, you fold napkins, you polish silverware, you polish glass, you know. Right. You don't have exactly that. There's sort of a number of different aspects that we need to cover throughout a week or a month, depending on our position and our plan. But a big part of our day is spent ordering and stocking. Is spent making sure that our wine list is in order, that everything is proper and up to date that everything is taken off the 86 board and that our lists and computer systems are all in sync, then we spend a lot of time training. Depending on the restaurant, most often than not, you're not going to be able to be at every single table. And while some restaurants have multiple sommeliers, that's sort of few and far between. So if you're the one sommelier in a restaurant that's open seven days a week for lunch and dinner, you're not going to be there every day. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that we spend a good amount of our time training and preparing our staff for when we're not there and when we're not able to be on the floor with them. Okay. And then, of course, there's service. Once we go into service, we need to spend the time on the floor selling wine, opening, helping our sort of front of house team operate successfully. And that way, you know, the sommelier it acts in a lot of ways as 
as a captain on the floor and in some cases as a manager on the floor. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. You know, it's not all, it's not all just the, the glory of drinking wine. There's a good amount of studying. There's a good amount of moving boxes. There's a good amount of cleaning your wine cellar and keeping it organized and putting little labels on things. All right. Well, that is really good to know, kind of get to that in-person perspective of, you know, it's not just all the glory of drinking wine all day and advising people to have this kind of wine with that kind of food. So that's really good to know. Um, But I know that you opened your own winery, Element Winery, in Finger Lakes, New York. Is that typically the natural progression of a sommelier's career if you really don't want to stay in the restaurant world? You know, it has become that lately. Um, we've seen a, a really large number of sommeliers going to make wine lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that has to do with both sort of obsession and fad and trend at the moment. But that's one of the options. I mean, once you, there's a couple of different sort of career paths after after years in the restaurant industry. And there's certainly people that keep going. I mean, one of the absolute legends of New York City, Roger DeGorn, is one of the classic master sommeliers in New York City who still works the floor nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of us sort of choose to go in different directions, whether that's retail or consulting, whether that's teaching, um, or in this case, winemaking. But normally, um, I'd say consulting is a big part of what we all do, as is teaching, you know, the educational path and the educational route. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, be honest with me. Do you, did you really love being a sommelier? I don't think you could get to this point doing anything in life if you didn't love it. Now, what are the perks to being a sommelier? Is it is it the travel or is it the getting to taste all these different kinds of wines? What is it? I think it's all of it. You know, I think that we as sommeliers have a lot of, I think we have a hard life. I think that, you know, people don't People see sort of the glory aspects of our job and, and miss a lot of the other things, like the, especially for those of us that go through the court system, go on to try to um, achieve our, our, or to pass our master sommelier exam. You know, people don't see the fact that every night for, oh, probably six months before every one of my exams, when I'd get home from the restaurant at midnight, I'd start studying and I'd study till about 4.30. And then I'd you know, be back at the restaurant at nine in the morning. So people don't always see that aspect, but there's a ton of amazing, amazing perks to the industry from the great wines that we get to taste, mm-hmm. you know, wines that nobody really gets to taste, to, you know, the absolute amazing food and beverage experiences that we all get to have, and the travel. Mm-hmm. You know, the travel's a lot of fun, and while it's definitely work, you know, and it's not all fun and games when, you know, you're off on a wine trip and... Well, I just got back from Argentina and I was in South Africa last month. You know, there's a lot of work involved on those trips. And the end of it, they're also a lot of fun. And there are things that we always kind of say that um, in the sommelier industry, we live so far above our pay grade in, in, the, in the good parts of life, the eating, the drinking, the traveling, and, you know, frankly, having fun. Definitely sounds like it. But on the flip side of that, is there anything that you just don't like about being a sommelier? No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I'm a little a little obsessive. So I kind of like numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people struggle with inventory and things like that, but I love doing inventory. In fact, it sort of is one of my highlights of the month. I also absolutely love organization, so I enjoy putting away deliveries and stocking sellers and moving things around and keeping them all neat and organized. But um, I think that those are a couple of the down points that not everybody loves 
so much about the business. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you weren't doing this, if you weren't a sommelier, what would you be doing? Would you see yourself more in like an executive chef role or? Yeah, I mean, I've I, I sort of have for the last eight years been um, the general manager of a small Reliance Chateau property, so small hotels, mm-hmm. and have also sort of doubled as, as the executive chef of the last property and um, beverage director of the one before that. So it would definitely be in the hospitality industry. And, well, I guess as I get out of, as I'm not currently in the sommelier position uh, full-time, I right now I'm doing mostly winemaking and a lot of education. I spend a lot of time teaching and writing and that sort of thing. Well, that's awesome. And we're kind of wrapping up with time here. So is there anything else you wanted to share with our young minds or people changing professions on how to get started as a sommelier? Yeah, get in and start working. You know, there's restaurants all over and don't expect that you're going to start out at the top. And, you know, don't forget how long all of us have taken to get to where we are. So it's not an overnight career path. A lot of us started out as waiters or as busboys and worked our way up. And also never forget that the sommelier industry is not just about knowing about wine. It's about dealing with people. It's about service. It's about customer interaction. And you know, service is probably the most overlooked aspect of our industry. You can know everything about wine and spirits and beers and cocktails, but if you're awkward in front of guests and if you can't talk fluidly and interact, and if you're not generally, as we like to say, hospitable, mm-hmm. there's something about service where our pleasure in life comes from bringing pleasure to others. When you're in the service industry, there's nothing that makes, you know, obviously it's nice to get tips, but there's nothing that makes us happier than making our guests happy. That's the key to it all. Well, there are some great tips from a master sommelier, and unfortunately, that's all the time we have today on You Do What. Thank you for joining us and sharing your expert advice, Christopher. Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please email me at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I'll see you next time.